Now let's uh, turn to Ruth chapter 4, just at the end of the book and at verse 16. Sorry, verse 14, reading at verse 14. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a close relative, and may his name be famous in Israel. And may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. Also the neighbor woman gave him a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. So they called his name Obed. Now, as I said, I'd like to bring your study on this book to a close, God willing, this morning. And uh, in doing so, as I said last week, uh, I want us to notice how the book in some ways ends as it began, because it ends with Naomi, and that's where the book began. And in one way, I suppose that's a surprise, Because in chapter 4, the spotlight has been very much on Ruth, as we would expect it to be, a book that bears her name. God leads her to her redeemer, this man Boaz, and the chapter nearly closes with Boaz and Ruth coming together, and there is the birth of their son, and there's great joy with that birth. And... um, Because her name is at the head of the book, and because the main theme of the book really is the coming in amongst God's people from the outside, an alien or an outsider coming into God's people, the calling of the Gentiles into the church, because that's the main theme we would expect, in a way, the book to finish like that. After all, she has been barren in Moab, as everyone is, but she comes into Israel and immediately she has a child. It's fitting that the name of the place where they live is Bethlehem, the house of bread. The name for the wider district is Ephrata, which means fruitful. These things symbolically come together. When we come into God's people, we become fruitful for God. So she immediately brings forth a child. And there's a way in which you would expect verse 13 pretty much to run into the end of verse 17. Uh, If you just put your eyes on verse 13, you'll see what I mean. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And when she went into her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then if you just turn the page and go to the bottom of verse 18... You would expect it to begin with the word and there, in verse 17, midway through verse 17, and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David, and so on. That would run well, and it would, on first reading, give the book a good close. Instead, 
we have this unexpected focus again on Naomi and verses that really, when we look at them and think about them, as we'll see in a moment, verses that are quite remarkable, where the spotlight falls on her and wonderful things are said about her and the grandchild that she now has. Now, I say it's surprising, but uh, in one way, perhaps it's not so surprising because you'll remember the book did begin with her. Although it's called Ruth, it begins with Naomi. And with Ruth, she's right at the heart of the book. It's her spiritual experience that's more to the fore than anybody else's. And, of course, you'll notice that it's through her, through her life and witness, that Ruth comes to faith. And uh, I think we've seen that that's an amazing thing in itself because her life wasn't plain. Uh, She wasn't living in perfect obedience to God. In fact, the reason she was in Moab had to do with her own disobedience. But God used her in spite of her unbelief and in spite of her failure. And there's an encouragement in that. Uh, Sometimes we feel if we've gone wrong that we can never be used again. But that's not so. Naomi learned a lesson in Moab, and God used her to bless this young Moabitess. And uh, God will use ourselves too, even after we fall. If we learn from our chastisement, if we are exercised thereby, we will bring forth the fruit of righteousness, as she did too. It's strange, really, that God even used the very act of disobedience to be the act that brought her into contact with this woman from Moab. That is a strange thing. So even in spite of our waywardness, God uses us and blesses us. But what's really um, amazing, if you like, is the content of these verses. Not so much that the spotlight falls on Naomi, I suppose, but what's actually said about her. And I, I want to look at these verses with you and just to notice, first of all, that these verses from verse 14 through to verse 17 are spoken by women. In verse 14, Then the woman said, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you, Naomi, today without a close relative. The woman, um, as though we know them, Um, not just women, but the woman. And we do know them because we met them before. We met them at the beginning of the book. We met them in the passage that we read briefly from chapter 1 and in verse 19, when Naomi came back after her wayward sojourn in Moab, we're told that the woman of the city, the woman of Bethlehem, the residents there, gathered round her and said, is this Naomi? Now, we looked at that verse and what it meant. But these are the women who saw her leave years ago as a young mother. Most of them would have mourned the decision that she had taken and were sorry to see her go. They saw her coming back, and uh, they saw her coming back as a changed woman. They, they saw that change on her features. There's a way in which she was broken, Naomi herself confessed it, and these women heard her say that the Almighty has afflicted me. God has testified against me in my very state, in my very condition before you here, 
as a poor woman, God is testifying against me and the decision that I took. So they saw her going out uh, with a full cup and coming back with her cup empty. And now these women are suddenly and unexpectedly seeing her with a full cup again. They're seeing that the God who brought her low and emptied her is a God who now at last is filling her cup again. He afflicted her, yes, but he has healed her. He has smitten her, but now he has bound her up. After emptying her economically, spiritually, and publicly in the sight of the people, he now fills her cup. But as well as seeing her present blessing, these women are actually going a lot further. They're seeing a future blessing too. They recognize, under the leading of God, as we'll see in a minute, they recognize that there's something special in the birth of this child. It's the same kind of sense that the woman had when John the Baptist himself was born. You remember, uh, they knew when Elizabeth, who was, who was quite old, when she fell pregnant, they knew there was a significance in that. They knew there was a significance in the birth. There was a strange significance in the dumbness of the father. He's out of the picture. But again, you see, when the child is born, they rejoiced with her. And the events around it made them say, and they were spiritual women, what kind of child will this be? There was an expectation surrounding John the Baptist, his birth and his growing up. And we can even go further here and say that the, that the Spirit of the Lord that came upon those women then and was so active then, you remember when Mary came in to visit Elizabeth, the Spirit of the Lord came upon her and she spoke and she prophesied. The same Spirit is very active here and is giving the woman some amazing things to say in connection with this child. First of all, it's amazing enough in verse 17 that the neighbor woman gave him a name saying, there is a son born to Naomi. Now, it's not really to Naomi, or we don't think of this child being born to Naomi, really. We think of him being born to Boaz and to Ruth. But these women are recognizing that there's a special link to Naomi. There's a link to Elimelech, who I think had died under God's chastisement, and Mahlon too, the son who was married to Ruth. This child was linked to them, and Boaz didn't mind that. And he's linked to Naomi in a very special way. God is continuing that line, a special line of blessing. So there is a son born to Naomi. She has a replacement for her two sons that God took away. And then they say three amazing things about this boy. First of all, well, it's not particularly amazing, I suppose, uh, when we look at it on the face of it, but they name him. It's a strange thing that they name him. It's the women who name him. We're told in verse 17 that they called his name Obed. His name shall be Obed. But then secondly... He shall be your redeemer, Naomi. Verse 14. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you today without a close relative. Now you may think that that's Boaz, but it clearly isn't. May his name 
be famous in Israel. And may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons. She has borne him. So his name shall be Obed, and he shall be your redeemer. And then again, at the end of verse 14, his name shall be great or famous in Israel. So his name shall be Obed, he shall be your redeemer, and his name shall be great in Israel. Now, um, there's no doubt, I think, and it's one of these things that will become more plain as we look at it, but there's no doubt that Obed here is uh, fading a little bit out of view, and his ultimate descendant, the true seed, is coming to the fore, the true Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. It so often happens, um, you see it in the Psalms, Psalms that begin with David, by the end there's no sign of David at all, he's eclipsed entirely by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's what happens with these women, they are so full of the Holy Spirit, and when they pronounce a benediction on this child, uh, the child disappears almost from view, not completely, and it's important to see that he doesn't completely, because I want to um, apply certain things about Obed to you, particularly men in the congregation. But nonetheless, he is gradually eclipsed, and we almost see none save Jesus only. Now, bearing that in mind, I want to look with you at Obed's name, his work, and his destiny. Obed's name, his work, and his destiny. Now, first of all, his name. Um, It is unusual, is it not, that he's named by the woman of Bethlehem. Uh, Probably not many of you would be too keen on everybody else giving a name to your child. But it was very obvious that these women were, were led to that by the Holy Spirit of God. And Boaz and Ruth, too, As a spiritual man and very spiritual woman, they recognized that God was active in that. They didn't see it as an intrusion by these women. They knew that God was active around this birth. And there are times like that anyway. There still are when you just know that God is in a situation and he's speaking in a situation and you have to be submissive to it. And Boaz and Ruth were both submissive to it. This child uh, was going to be different somehow. And so they allowed the woman to call him Obed, which means what? It means servant. Um, Servant of the Lord. Obadiah is a servant of the Lord. Obed itself is servant. Now this is, and I'm sure you know this, most of you, it's one of the great titles that our Lord Jesus Christ has given in the Scripture. He is the servant of God. Zechariah 3.8 I will bring forth my servant, the branch. But especially Isaiah. Again, most of you will know that the closing chapters of Isaiah's prophecy are dominated by the servant of the Lord. There are four passages in which the person and work of the servant comes very vividly before us. Behold my servant. The best known, of course, is Isaiah 53, where we see God's servant suffering. 
and dying a cursed death, but then being raised for our justification. My servant, yes, Christ, my servant. And of course, it's important to notice that he is a servant of God. God is his master. Uh, There is a special child being born. This child too, like I said, don't leave him out, we'll come to that. But there's a special seed to be born who is preeminently God's servant. Behold my servant. But a servant for us. That's what Christ was. Accountable to God, but serving us. I'll be saying something in connection with that, I suppose, um, when it comes to Mr. McCollum's induction and ordination, because I think it's so important to emphasize in the church, in this day of apostasy and rebellion against authority too, it's important to remember that a minister is God's servant to the people. Some people say that a minister is a servant of the church. Yes and no. Depends what you mean by that. The church is not a minister's master. Christ is his master. But he is a servant to the church. And a minister always needs to remember that. The minister, the moment a minister thinks of himself as the servant of the church and the church as his master, he'll do what he thinks the church wants him to do. And he'll think he'll be faithful because he's doing what the church wants him to do. No, he is a servant of God's to the church. That's what Christ himself was. Christ was not there to obey Peter and John and James, but he was there to serve them. I am among you, he says, as one that serves. The Son of Man did not come to be ministered unto, but to minister. You call me Master and Lord, he says, and you do well, for so I am. And if I have washed your feet as Master and Lord, so you also ought to wash one another's feet. Yes, I am among you as one that serves. And we thank God that God's servant, in obedience to God, always came into this world to serve us. And he still does that. He still ministers to us in his kindness and in his grace. And somehow Obed was going to foreshadow that. It was seen in his birth, and the woman saw that in naming this child Obed. He is a servant. Now, second, and especially, I want you to notice his work. What does a servant do? Well, he serves, yes. But how does this child serve? Well, he serves by becoming a redeemer. In verse 14, These are the main verses. The woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a close relative. Um, Now, of course, some people think it's Boaz, but read on, it's not Boaz. May his name be famous in Israel. May he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of old age. Now, Boaz was probably older, quite possibly older than Naomi herself. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has borne him. Him. He. He is your nourisher, the child that Ruth has brought into the world. In other words, uh, there are two redeemers in this book. Um, 
I think I mentioned that last week, how sometimes to get a full picture, God splits things into two. He does that with a particular sacrifice. We noticed that. He does it here too. Boaz is the Redeemer who purchases the alien and brings her into the people of God, Christ. Obed is the Redeemer who looks after the woman of God, who cares for her and nourishes her into old age. Again, Christ, the Redeemer. Now, you'll notice that this Redeemer does two things for Naomi. In verse 15, may he be a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. That's what a Redeemer does. That's what Obed does. That's what Christ does. A restorer of life. That's a wonderful expression. The word restore is actually the Hebrew word that we normally translate repent, which means, of course, to turn back. So to restore life means to take life back from the death. Of death the cords and sorrows did about me compass round. The pains of hell took hold on me. I grief and trouble found. But then, you see, he's restored. There is a repentance from death, a repentance unto life. We won't begin with Obed here. Let's begin with Christ himself. We sang verse 23. We know verse 23. If we're the Lord's people, we love verse 20, Psalm 23. My soul he doth restore again. My soul is actually there. My life, or life and soul are interchangeable, put it that way. My soul he doth restore again. And when it says here, may he be to you, in verse 15, may he be to you a restorer of life. That's a restorer of the soul. May this child, Naomi, restore your soul. How Obed does it, we'll see in a moment. But he foreshadows Christ, who certainly restores our soul. How does he do that? How does he bring our soul back from death? Well, you know how he does it. He does it by his word. By his word. When it comes to you with life. When it comes to you with power. That's what happens when you're converted, when you're dying and you feel death, and you're convicted, the pit swallowing you, and his word comes with power and you're liberated, you're released, and your feet are on a rock and there's a new song in your mouth. But that happens, as I mentioned in connection with Psalm 116, it happens all your life long. It's a process of being redeemed from death. There are times when God nearly lets you die, And shows you the wonder of his salvation by reviving you again. Sometimes it's as dramatic and amazing to to you as your first conversion. After all, in Psalm 23, when it says, my soul he doth restore again, uh, we're told how he does it. It's by making me to lie down in the green pastures and beside the still waters, the food and the drink. My soul he doth restore Restore is the same as the word restaurant, where you go to be nourished. The green pastures, the still waters. Psalm 19, verse 7, you have the same word. God's law is perfect, literally repenting the soul or restoring the soul. God's law does that, God's word. 
Psalm 119, verse 25. My soul cleaves to the dust. Notice the sense of death I gave. I'm dying. I'm famished. I'm languishing. My soul cleaves to the dust. Restore me according to your word. According to your word. In other words, God restores our soul by sending his word back with life and with power into our hearts. And the result is that we do the first works again. We, we somehow come to Christ again. We experience the fullness of his love and the freeness of his love, the wonder of his pardon. We're renewed. Now, it's a wonderful thing when that happens. And the fact that the primary act is the word of God coming into you shows the sovereignty of it. You realize as a Christian the sovereignty of your salvation. It began because God sought you out. But the same thing is true when you're recovering from chastisement and from barrenness, from leanness and near death. You discover when that happens that God was sovereign in it too. Yes, you had to repent, but how did you repent? How did you repent? Well, because you became hungry and thirsty again. And how did you become hungry and thirsty again? Because the word of God just awoke you. It's as simple as that. It gave you a sense of desire and longing to have God back again. And if, if that didn't happen, you would never look for him again, would you? You'd be as dead as you were first time around. But God stimulated these things by the word, and we're thankful for that. It can happen any time. It can happen over a process of time. Have you felt that? Have you been aware of it? Uh, perhaps in your private reading, a rekindling of desire and of longing. Have you felt it under the preaching of the word? More attentiveness. And you leave the house of God wanting God, wanting to obey and wanting to serve Yes, that's a sign that your soul is being restored and you go back to doing the first things again and doing them eagerly and glad. If, if you've ever tried to sort out your computer, I mean, if, if ever a, a bug or a virus has come into it, you will probably have come across a restore point on your computer. And what does the restore point do? Well, if you tried it, you know what it does. It goes back or it takes your computer back to how it was before you got the virus. It's as simple as that. It takes it back to how it was before you got the virus. That's essentially what happened here to Naomi herself. She went to Moab and boy, did she suffer in Moab. But God has taken her back to Bethlehem. And she's doing the first works again. And that's the way God works with ourselves. He takes us back to where we went wrong. Decisions that we made and he purges us out of these. And we just love the basic things again. You start longing for the prayer meeting and longing for God's house and longing for fellowships. Things that were pushed down the list because you are sick with a virus. But God's word has reawoken you. Well, it may be that it hasn't. Maybe you're sitting here a worldly young man and a worldly young woman, professed faith a good few years ago, but you're choked to death, and even what I'm saying you doesn't, does, to you just doesn't do much for you. Well, I hope and pray that changes. Because the path you're on is a very deadly and dangerous one. 
Sometimes you go so far onto it that nobody can tell, not even yourself, whether you're living or dead. And who knows, maybe the outcome may be that you are dead, that you were the seed that sprang up with no root. And when tribulation came, it vanished away. There was nothing there. People aren't afraid enough of that these days. He shall be to you a restorer of life. And that's what Christ is for us, a restorer of life. How we bless him for the word coming back. How we bless him for that word creating hunger and thirst again. How we bless him for that word bringing us back onto the path of righteousness. The idea continues in verse 15 by the expression, a nourisher of your old age. A nourisher of your old age. A provider in your old age. The word provider here is a bit of an unusual one. It means to sustain by measuring out a portion. To sustain by measuring out a portion. In other words, very simply, the Lord continues to restore us, even in old age. There's encouragement in that. Isaiah 46 and verse 4, God says this. And listen to it, especially as you're getting older. Even to your old age, even to gray hairs, I will carry you, God says. In fact, what he says is, I am he. Even to your old age, I am he. Even to gray hairs, I will carry you. And listen, I have made you, and I will bear you, and I will carry you, says the Lord. And that's why it's true of the Christian that as the outward man decays, the inward man is being renewed day by day. There's something in a Christian that never gets old because uh, the soul is renewing. What's the result? Well, we sang the result a wee while ago. In old age, when others fade, they fruit still forth shall bring. They shall be fat and full of sap and always flourishing. Isn't it wonderful when you meet Christians like that? Evidently young at heart, uh, full of gratitude, zest, zeal in their own way too, even in old age, still bearing fruit. They're not tired and weary as other people are. Um, they have life. They live towards God. Uh, that's what Christ does for us. He restores our life and provides our portion into old age. But I want you to notice that this is true of Obed as well as being true of Christ. Right? We, we can't lose the first application because we're so caught up with the ultimate application. Not at all. We mustn't lose sight of Obed here just because we are seeing Christ. In other, in other words, this boy would do these things for his grandmother. Something about the way this boy speaks and something about the way this boy behaves will restore her life to her on many occasions and will keep her fresh and young. 
Yes, he would care for her physically. And that's an important thing. But I think, again, we need to begin spiritually. Um, Some of you will know this in experience, especially those who are parents and grandparents. You'll know how God can sometimes bring a blessing into your life through the birth of a child. A child that grows up specially attentive to the Word of God and especially obedient to the Word of God. How often it kindles yourself and rekindles your own heart. And sometimes when you feel weary and tired in the way, simply to look at that child, sometimes to listen to that child as that child reads to you, or as that child asks you a question, you're revived. You see the work of God in the next generation. You see a seed serving him as long as the sun and the moon do last. It's a rekindling of life. That's what Obed was going to be to his grandmother. He would bring her the word of God. He would bring her a portion every day that would restore her soul. And when she prayed, give me today my daily bread, the Lord would often bring it to her through her grandchild. Pray for children like that. Pray for grandchildren like that in the church. And if you're a young boy or a young girl, be like that. Be the sustainer of your parents and your grandparents. May they be encouraged when they look at you and listen to you because you love the Lord, you know the Lord, and you love the Lord. Nothing will console them like that. Nothing will encourage them like that. But it's obvious, too, that this was going to extend itself in the way that Obed physically cared for his grandmother. Um, it is a wonderful thing to see uh, men and women caring for their parents and their grandparents and making sure that they are happy spiritually and that they are as well off as they can be materially. Um, we live in an age where Paul's prophecy has come to pass. Paul tells us that in the last days, and we're living in the last days, we always are, ever since the gospel, he says that in the last days perilous seasons will come from time to time, uh, when men shall be lovers of their own selves, boastful, unholy, unthankful, disobedient to parents, without natural affection. Um, Are you aware of natural affection declining in Scotland? I am. Natural affection is not what it was. Definitely not. It's declining between mothers and daughters, sons and fathers, husbands and wives, grandchildren and grandparents. And sometimes it's revealed in what we do with them and how we think about them. Our parents are nuisance. Our grandparents are nuisance. People just to be put away and forgotten about. I'm conscious that because people live longer and they can have difficult conditions, it can be hard sometimes to look after them at home. Sometimes it reaches a point where it can't be done. Where it can, it should be. Where it can't, they should be well cared for. And the responsibility for that doesn't lie with the home or with the government. It lies with you and with me. We need to be satisfied before God that they are well cared for. 
Uh, every example of honoring our father and mother in the New Testament is not to do with children honoring their father and their mother. It's to do with mature adults honoring their old parents. Every example. And uh, the Lord himself, of course, fulfilled it on the cross, did he not? It was his last act of honor to his own mother when he said to her, Woman, behold your son, and son, behold your mother. He committed his mother to the care of John. Notice the spirituality of that, you see. He had brothers and sisters himself, but they were all unconverted. They were all unconverted. And he saw to it that there was a a spiritual provision that would keep his mother. Notice that. Notice that. He saw to it. He looked after it as the oldest son with the full responsibility that she would have a spiritual nourishment and a spiritual provider. It's as much as to say, I am leaving you, but I leave you with one who will be a restorer of life and who will be a nourisher of old age, if need be. I'm conscious that some point after the resurrection, some members of his family did come to faith in Christ. But nonetheless, it was his duty while he was living uh, to leave his mother with a spiritual provider, with spiritual care. I hope we follow the Lord's example in doing that. So his name is a servant, and as a servant he redeems, restores our life and nourishes our old age. Last of all, just briefly, his name shall be great. Well, yes, we can see this very easily in connection with the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll sing in a moment, his name forever shall endure. Last like the sun it shall, men shall be blessed in him, and blessed all nations shall him call. But of course, the first application mustn't be left out of view either. May Obed's name be famous in Israel. And... uh, I suppose with this, maybe you could say, well, his name really hasn't been famous in Israel. I've never really heard of him. In fact, I've never really thought about him. And in fact, when I've read this passage before, I've never paid any attention really to him. I've I've never, never thought about him. Well, let me say two things about that. First of all, you have no, you have no, It was God's purpose that all of us here today would sit and recall a young man who was a blessing to his grandmother. The second thing is that we ought to have known about him because God records his name in the scripture in a particular context for a purpose as a redeemer of God's people. And we should always pay attention to these people. These are wonderful words spoken of him. Uh, let's honor him in that. And now that we hear about him, and now that we know about him, we can say, yes, his name is famous in Israel. I'm sure there was a time when people recalled him and thought about him and honored him and named their children after him. But yes, generations can forget, but generations will remember again. And God will see to it at the end of the day that the right people are remembered and that the others are forgotten. The world perpetuates its own, idolizes its own, 
biographies to its own people who have achieved zilch spiritually. And in fact, in many ways, in any way at all, sometimes they just attained celebrity. But God will see to it that the right people are famous and that the others are forgotten. His name forever shall endure. Obed endured too. And the book closes really with this woman who's just creeping into old age. I don't, she's not an old woman really, but she's looking into it now. She's looking into it. And she takes this young grandchild to her bosom. And it's a strange thing that she's the one who's going to raise him. And Boaz seems to be content with that. Ruth's content with Boaz, you see, uh, has faded away because he's content for this child to be raised to Machlon and to Elimelech and Naomi, although it's his own. Um, but grannies sometimes do. They just end up sometimes with a child. And uh, that's an opportunity. That's an opportunity. And she had the knowledge, because of what these women said under the inspiration of the Spirit, she had the knowledge that it was her task to mold this child into a good man of God. So we met the woman at the beginning of the book making a wrong choice as a young married woman with two sons. But we leave her at the end of the book um, going into old age and looking forward to it. Yes, we can say that the Almighty afflicted her. That's true. But she could say with David, who is her what? Great-grandchild? Great-great-grandchild? It was good for me that I was afflicted. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. And I think she could probably say what Moses said when he was just about to die. According as the days have been, wherein we grief have had, and years wherein we ill have seen, O oh, do thou make us glad. And I think we can leave her just raising that child with a full cup, full cup. And whenever God empties it, it's always with a view to fill it. May we know that in our lives. Restore nourishment, a full cup. Let us pray. Our gracious God, we pray to learn the examples of godly living from those who have gone before. The beauty of caring for parents and for grandparents, making sure that under God we restore their life. We bring them good things and that we nourish them. And help us to raise our children and grandchildren so that they would be like that. And if we are like that ourselves, we can raise others to be like that too. We look, O Lord, to, re to the return of our great God and Savior. And we pray that we would do our part in our generation until he comes again. As this man was a servant, so may we be glad to serve too. It is an honorable duty. It is a great title to have. May all of us be ministers of God for the benefit of God's people. In Christ's name, amen.
Let's close then with these words from God's Word. Psalm 72 on page 314. Psalm 72, page 314, uh, to the tune Effingham. Verse 17, his name forever shall endure, last like the sun it shall. Men shall be blessed in him, and blessed all nations shall him call. Now blessed be the Lord our God, the God of Israel. That's Israel who wandered into disobedience, but when she returns, she'll be a blessing to all us Moabites too. For he alone doth wondrous works in glory that excel, and blessed be his glorious name to all eternity. The whole earth let his glory fill. And we can say, Amen, so let it be, because it shall be that way. The last three stanzas we stand to sing. of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.